Okay, well, good morning, good morning. Always good to see you guys and see you guys online. Well, as you like to know, or as you know, I always like to encourage you to read God's Word. So I want to encourage you to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 8, or just verse 8 this week. Meditate on that, chew on that, put it up on your refrigerator or in your car on a note card. Just look at that passage today, especially in, in light of today's message, and just see where God leads you and how he speaks to you. And just see how much it reveals to you how the beauty of God's grace. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, all that you have done, Lord, for truly we are a people that are always desperate for your grace. And Lord, if we don't feel desperate, help us to see our desperation of our need for you in all things. Lord, help us to never be self-sufficient or independent from you, but to be completely dependent and fall upon you for everything that we do. God, we have been so grateful that you have uh, been leading us, Lord, to follow your ways, that you have been our chief shepherd. You have been the one who has been guiding us to follow you. And Lord, we know you will continue to do so, for that's the promise that you have given us in the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, for he has established the church and will constantly lead us and will never forsake us. God, be with all those churches that are meeting around the world and in whatever context they are meeting, Lord. Uh, encourage them, let them know that we are praying for them. Be with the missionaries across the world, Lord, that we are praying for them right now as a people, and we are unified with them, even though we can't see them or, or, or tangibly uh, hold them. We are unified with them through the Holy Spirit. And God, bless our message today that you, uh, that you have given, that, Lord, may it convict our hearts of the sin so that we can run and, and flee from our sin and cling to the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, to know that he has paid it all. Encourage us, Lord, in this so we can faithfully, or more, or more specifically, consistently live out the faith. So we can be full of love, joy, and hope of this glorious gospel that you have given us by faith alone. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew, my hands are chilly. Okay, so um, as we come to this close of 1 Peter, we're on the last chapter, uh, we have seen that Peter is, is wanting Christians to consistently live in the light of the gospel in all areas of life and in all circumstances of life, to never forget that uh, there is a living Savior who has conquered death and sin once and for all and is now Lord over their life through faith in Him. Uh, Peter has been constantly trying uh, to have these Christians to, to see, you know, to have us to see the bigger picture of why we're suffering. And he has pointed out that suffering, uh, the suffering that they are experiencing because of their faith and the suffering that will come because, as they continue in the faith is really God's way of refining his people. It's God's way of letting people know that he is with them, that the finished, that the finished work of Christ uh, upon their behalf, which is the source and basis of our faith, is being brought into completion within them. 
So Peter has been giving encouragement after encouragement to different groups of people within the church to keep their faith in Christ no matter what's happening. And he has reminded these groups that in summary, that by faith alone in Jesus Christ, that they were no longer under the power of sin and death, but were now under the grace of God. So by keeping their their focus on what Jesus has done for them, looking to his performance rather than their own, that is the key of how to overcome any trials or hardships or really any problems set before them. For Jesus is the very person that this world wants you to forget, especially when there's trials in your life. Yet, he is the very answer that you always need. So that's what Peter has been hitting hard on. So in today's text of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Peter is going to speak directly to another group of Christians. He's going to speak directly to pastors. Now, as I've stated in the past, when Peter specifically refers to a group of people that, that you don't necessarily fit in with or a group that you don't necessarily relate with, doesn't mean you just get to check out for the time being and think it has no relation, uh, relation to you. For we always must, must remember in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be uh, competent equ- uh, uh, and equipped for every good work. So, though Peter is writing to pastors here, like to me, which is quite convicting, it's still very profitable to you, despite what you may think. For if you ever move, you need to know what to look for in a pastor. Or if by chance God takes me home to be with him, you need to know what to look for in a pastor of this church. Now, I'm not planning on I'm passing away here, but really, whoever does, right? God does what he wants. Life's a gift. We should never treat it as common. But anyways, more more to the point of the the context of this passage and how it's profitable to you, even though you're not pastors, though you may not be serving in a servant leadership position of an ordained office like pastor in a local church, you are still a servant leader of Christ in some capacity of your life. Whether that be in your home, as a parent, with your kids, or even with your spouse, or at work, or at school, at a friend's house, at church, or shopping, or even at a restaurant. Wherever you go and wherever you live, you are a servant leader of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Well, guess what? The great commission of making disciples, leading people to Jesus, and leading people to remember his grace over them, it's not just a pastor thing, but an all thing. All those who have faith in Christ are called to this great commission. So no matter your age, no matter if you're a man or a woman or an adult or a child, no matter uh, how much you know or don't know about the Bible, no matter your circumstance in life, For once you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you become a servant leader of him in all situations of life because you have the very same commission that I have. For Christ has stated in Matthew 28, 19, 
Go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. Now, do you have the same authority and same responsibility as an ordained pastor? No. For even James says in James chapter 3, verse 1, referring to ordained teachers or ordained ministry, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, uh, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. But the principle, the principles that I'm called to reflect in my life are very much applicable to you in some form or fashion. For in this very text we're going to look at, it says that I am called to express these characteristics by the grace of God through faith in Christ in my life so I can be an example to you. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, but being examples to the flock. So I'm called to exemplify these very things so that you can, in some form or fashion, apply these principles in your own life context. So today's title is Pastoral Leadership. I know, unique, right? So let's, let's just look at then at verse 1 of chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So coming out of the prior context of God purging the presence of sin from the lives of his people and refining them, that is often met with suffering, Peter looks to those who are in pastoral leadership during these trying times, and he wants to reach out his hand and give them encouragement so they know they're not alone. Leadership can be a very lonely place, especially when trying, especially during hard times when people are suffering and people are easily angered because their patience is running out. No matter how Christian some people may think they are, there's still sin. Sin is still very, uh, sadly, part of our lives. And hardships have a way of exploiting sin, so we become prideful, arrogant, irrational, resentful, irritable, and so on, and so on, and so on. And a pastor, then, not only has to help those who are dealing with trials and are having a hard time dealing with them, dealing with them as the pastor's dealing with his own trials in his own life, but then he has to deal with the additional trials that come about, sadly, when trying to help those who are dealing with trials. Meaning that not only does a pastor have a target on his back from the world, but he also can very easily end, end up having a second target on his back from the very ones he's trying to help. Because guess what? They get upset with his help at times. Because they aren't wanting to hear the answers he gives or he fails their expectations and so on and so on because the pastor's a sinner too. And this brings us to our very first point. Pastoral leadership is solely based upon the gospel message. So Peter says then in verse one, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now real quick, Elder, this word here, is not referring to an age thing. Elder just simply means leader. 
It is a position word. So elders are the ordained spiritual leaders who are well-versed in the faith and are serving the church and are guarding the purity of the gospel against false doctrines through preaching and teaching. Elder is just another term for pastor. And there's other terms like overseer and bishop. It just, it's just pastor. It just refers to different dynamics. But anyways, Peter says on a personal level, he wants to encourage these pastors. He wants to encourage them. He wants them to understand that he knows their fears, their worries, their doubts that they are dealing with. He understands that they may be even questioning their own abilities of leading people who are dealing with such adversity in their life. I think any leader in any position starts to question that. He knows that, they are, that leading is hard and the possibility of quitting and giving up is right there because of how much pressure is upon them. I mean, when they are, are dealing with and seeing families being torn apart and people losing their lives and the threat of the world coming against them back then, I mean, that's a lot to take in. When you think we got problems, Ooh, they, have, they have major problems. And what makes matters worse is that when the pastors, uh, when we mess up with those who we are leading, that just makes things a lot harder and makes you simply want to give up. And Peter says he understands all that. And he says he wants to encourage them all the more. And he shows this encouragement not by pulling an authority card as an apostle and says, well, tough luck, buttercup. You're a pastor now. Deal with it. But rather, he comes down to their level as any leader should when he's dealing with anyone, he or she's dealing with anyone. Comes down to their level and doesn't call himself an apostle in this moment, even though an apostle has a higher authority than a pastor. For apostles are the ones that lay down the foundation of the faith, like writing the New Testament. And pastors are just simply those who teach the faith from the Bible that they've written. But Peter doesn't use his authority to whip the pastor into shape, but rather he joins them, comes alongside them and says, hey, we are a team. He empathizes with them so they don't feel alone in what they're doing. Basically, he is revealing that they are not doing anything that he is not doing, even though he carries the high position of an apostle. He wants them to know that he very much supports them and loves them and wants them to continue on despite the hardships that they are facing. He says, I'm with you. He, uh, he knows that when times get tough and the pressure is on, progression is hard to see in life as a leader. And sadly, what is easily seen most of the time and what we tend to focus on when the heat is turned up in leadership, in whatever context, we tend to only see our failures. And Peter wants them to continue on to look past their failures. He wants them to remember that Christ has achieved everything for them. The pressure is not on them. They only need to look to Jesus and to remember his gospel message. He says in verse, uh, he continues and says in verse one, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And what Peter says there is actually really interesting and quite uplifting. It's not something just to glance over when Peter speaks about the witnessing of the sufferings of Jesus. 
And what Peter does here is kind of like a wordplay because remember, he's all about in relating to these pastors um, as a fellow elder. So he wants to say, look, I'm with you in this. I get you. So by bringing up being a witness in one aspect, he means that he is one who literally speaks of the sufferings of Jesus, meaning he preaches and tells on how Christ had to suffer while on this earth, speaking about how people, people constantly came against him and he, was con- and he was betrayed and he had to go to the cross for our sins. And so he's a witness, meaning that he explains what those sufferings mean, that through Christ's sufferings, we have become freed from the bondage of sin and death of this world. That's one aspect. But there's another aspect with Peter then being so personal with these pastors trying to keep them encouraged to keep leading by faith their churches during these trying times, when he refers to himself as a witness, we must realize that Peter was part of the very sufferings that he witnessed of Christ. For his failures shine very bright in the story of the sufferings of Jesus. He couldn't even stay awake to be with Jesus in his most hour of anguish in the garden. Christ said, stay awake, please. Pray for me. Couldn't even do that. He also denied and abandoned Jesus during his trial. And Jesus saw him do it. It says he looked directly at him. So what you have is Peter saying, look, I know what it means to have failure as a leader and cave under pressure. I know what it's like to mess up. I know what it's like to give in to sin as a leader. I know what it's like to feel that you are not qualified to lead anyone. So through this, he reveals, really, by him bringing this up, that no one is qualified to lead. For we all fail, we all sin, we all mess up. Yet, again, by going a little bit deeper with him reminding of being a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also reveals that Christ also suffered for him, suffered for Peter's failures and sins upon the cross. And the fact that he is now speaking to them as an apostle, as a fellow elder reveals this. Christ did not leave him because of his failures as a leader, but rather by his grace restored him to the highest office in the church possible, and that's an apostle. Not because of anything he did or how great he was, because he wasn't. Not because of how smart he was, because he kept saying dumb things. It was all because of his great, God's grace. For what Peter did deserved the exact opposite of what Christ gave him. So Peter is saying that Christ will not leave them or give up on them as they are dealing with their own sins, failures, and worries, and fears. For it's by grace alone, through faith in Jesus, that Peter became, uh, is what he is and continues to be what he is, an apostle. So Peter in turn is saying it is by grace through faith alone that they too will continue to pastor during these hard times. The power is not within them, 
but comes from Christ. They need just to look to him and rely upon his finished work upon the cross for them to continue doing the work of the ministry. And by the way, then, the same goes for you in whatever context you are helping or leading someone in Christ. You are never good enough. You just point to the one who is, and that's Jesus. This is why he says at the end of verse 1, that he is now as well a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. But Peter says, look, I am restored by his grace, and I find my identity now in his grace. For I know that the glory that Christ has achieved for me through faith in him, that is what I fill my mind with. And that's what keeps me going. For my identity is built upon my relationship through him by faith alone, not in what I do. So he says, the same thing is for you, pastors. You are not to identify with your weakness, your failures, or your sins. For your identity now is in Christ. You are now a partaker of all that he has achieved. That means all of it. He has achieved everything for you by faith in him. For you have become a partaker of his glory. So Peter's basically saying he has commissioned you to be a pastor and to do the work of the pastor and he has forgiven all your mess-ups, your failures, and your sins and he is now perfecting you for the final day when his glory will be revealed, meaning his second coming. So in turn, to apply what Peter is saying to all of us here and those online is that your leadership in telling others about Jesus in whatever capacity does not depend upon you. So stop carrying the heavy weight of worry, fear, regret, anger, failure, pride, confusion, and give it to Christ. For he has achieved all of your good works of leadership so that you might walk in them by faith alone in him. So as you lead people in knowing Christ more and more, don't forget the gospel of God's grace. For it's only by his grace that you're leading at all in any type of capacity. So don't let anything hinder you from helping others know Jesus. Because it's not on you. Christ has accomplished it. So then with, with Peter making this case that Christ has achieved everything for the pastor that he needs to lead his church through trying times by relying upon grace alone. He then encourages them to start doing it. So in verses two through three, Peter shows what that looks like. And this brings us to our second point. Pastoral leadership remembers the church is Christ alone. He says in verse two, shepherd the flock that is among you exercising oversight. Now, by speaking on shepherding, Peter is bringing to mind what was said to him then on the day that Christ restored him. Christ told him to feed his sheep multiple times in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And the key from that text and from this text is that the sheep which are being shepherded are not Peter's sheep and they are not the pastor's sheep. They are God's sheep that have been bought by the blood of Christ. Acts 20, verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. 
or pastors, to care for the church of God which he obtained by his own blood. Peter, in essence, is saying, look, Christ has done everything for you. Christ has made his church, and he will keep making his church, for he is in charge of the church, not you. You are just a tool that God uses to guide his people through your servant leadership. The pressure is not on you to make the church, for the church wasn't yours and isn't yours to begin with. You are just to be exercising oversight over the people that God has placed before you in this world. Or you think of it, the people that you're interacting with. Meaning that a pastor is not there, this oversight, is not there to point out the flaws of the flock. That's just being a jerk. The shepherd is not there to expose all the failures of, the sin, of, of, people's, uh, of people's lives. Rather, he is there to feed them the word of God by pointing to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. For Jeremiah 24, uh, 23, verse 4 says this. God says, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear nor, no more, nor be dismayed. Peter's saying the pastor shepherds the flock and oversees them by constantly reminding the people of the gospel of grace, even when they can't see it or feel it. A, pastor's exi- a pastor exists to tend God's people by reminding them that they are God's people through faith alone, through grace alone, and Jesus alone. And that all things are working out for their good now simply because of God's grace over them through faith in Jesus. It's not about their performance. A pastor is to oversee this in people's lives no matter how many times they ask about it, or even how many times they don't want to hear it. For Peter says a good pastor, a good shepherd over God's flock constantly points to Jesus and what he has done for them by grace alone. So they no longer then need to live in sin and turn away from their sin by crying out to Jesus through faith in him. A pastor is there to help people take comfort in the words that Christ said upon the cross. It is finished. And that's what drives you away from the sin. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. The pastor just says what the Word of God says. The pastor is not there to feed you with his own opinions of life, whatever that may be. A lot of opinions out there in the world. Ministry for all of us, no matter who you are, is not about the opinions of you. But it's about the truth of God's word, his gospel of grace. So with this in mind, then, Peter lays out some principles to help the pastor stay on the course of always pointing to the grace of God as they do ministry. He says a pastor is not to pastor people under compulsion. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Meaning that a pastor should not do ministry because they feel like they have to. And this, again, can go two, of two ways. One, they are grudgingly doing ministry. Like, oh, man, this again? How many times do I have to talk about this? Or the other way. They think they have to do ministry because if they don't, the church will fail. I got to do this. 
Both motives are wrong because first, it's a blessing to be doing God's work. And second, God doesn't need you. For the church does not stand or fall with the pastor. The church belongs to Christ and Christ alone. The church is his, not the pastor's. So the church stands and falls if it adheres to the gospel message that is preached, not the pastor. So Peter says the pastor then is to be willing as God would have you. Simply meaning that ministry is a lifestyle because of the freedom and joy now that you have that you have now in Christ by his grace alone. A pastor should always look forward to speaking about God's grace. So no matter what trials come his way, all the pastor should see is more opportunity for God's grace to shine through him. For this principle really applies to us all. For we all should love seeing God work through our weakness, our faults, our failures, and our sins, and see him do things beyond our wildest imaginations and our wildest dreams. It is truly an honor to see it and and, and experience it. That's how we're all called to look, look upon this world. So the pastor, he says then, is not is there not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And to be clear here, Peter is not saying that pastors should not get paid, that ministry work should not get paid. Getting paid for ministry is spoken spoken about a couple of times in the New Testament. For example, it says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18 says, Let the elders, the pastors who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. What Peter is saying here, the shameful gain, is that a pastor should not be in the ministry to get rich or exploit people for money. A pastor should not have the mindset of, well, they don't pay me to do that, so I ain't going to do it. But rather, the pa- Peter says, we should be eager to do the work of the ministry, willing to give up things to see God work his word through and in people's lives, even if we don't get paid for it. Now, do we fail at that? Yes. But the goal, but the goal, that's, that's the mindset we're all called to have. For ministry is about serving people so they can come to know the grace of God and depend upon the grace of God more and more every day. And money should never halt that or be the motive for those opportunities. The only motivation is the joy of serving God's people. And all of us, no matter who you are, are to be more concerned with giving rather than obtaining because Christ has already attained, obtained everything for you and you know he will provide for all your needs. For we live by grace. And lastly, he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, and we're coming to an end, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
Peter says, remember the people that have been assigned to your care are there only because God wants them there. And he wants to use you to help them know him more. They are not there to do your bidding. They are not there so you can be bossy and have a chip on your shoulder. They are not there to be oppressed by your own personal opinions or views. Again, there's a lot of them out there. God has placed them in your charge, in your care. God has, they have been assigned to the pastor, assigned to your local church, so you can help them by coming alongside them. Pastors are to uplift those assigned to them by reminding them, reminding the local church of God's grace, gracious care over them through faith in his son. For the authority of a pastor's leadership is not seen in the power over people, but in him serving them. Which leads Peter to say, but being examples to the flock. So Peter basically says, live what you preach. That's how you lead people. For if you truly preach Christ, the suffering servant, then serve the very ones you're preaching to. Jesus said this very same thing in Matthew 20, verse 25 through 26, which again applies to all of us and all of our leadership. But Jesus called to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So you could put it this way for all of us. Proclaim the grace of God and reveal the grace of God in how you live. Not that your life is a perfect performance of the faith, but your life represents the one who has done the perfect performance for you on your behalf by faith in him. For we're all called to remember it is grace that changes people's hearts, not the law. That's how you lead people to Jesus, no matter who you are. It's by showing his grace. And Peter sums up this small section to pastors in verse 4 by saying, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And this leads us to our last and final point. Pastoral leadership has a glorious end. Peter ends here saying that the sheep belong to Christ and that he is the true shepherd of his people. And pastors are only temporal shepherds who are held accountable to the chief shepherd. And though we invest our lives into people, it is only to exemplify the one who gave his life to save the people. That's Jesus. And Peter says that all all the things that the pastor does in ministry to help people know the grace of Jesus, though no one may never know, no one may ever, uh, though no one may ever notice it or are purposely blind to it. Jesus is not blind and he takes notice and he will faithfully reward pastors with a crown of glory. Now to get real technical here, okay, like crowns. Okay, that's great. The emphasis in the Greek is really about the glory part. So the crown is more of a metaphor of the amazing riches we have in Christ that will never fade. For he has already stated in verse 1 that pastors are partakers of the glory to be revealed. So with all this, he basically tells the pastor that their ministry and victory over the problems they are facing are not dependent upon their efforts, 
but on Christ's finished work on their behalf. For the glory is already upon them, as he said in verse 1, and will be fully revealed to them when Christ returns. Same thing goes for you. You keep doing ministry even though no one notices, God does. The only need that a pastor needs to do is keep their faith in Christ and help others do the same. Or as I like to say, as a pastor, I'm simply worshiping Jesus and helping others do the same. But that's what the pastor's is called. That's the pastor's model with everyone they come in contact with. And by example, it's also yours. For we all will be given a crown of glory, as it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. That's all of you. So, so all of us, no matter who we are, we all have some leadership in some context of our life since we have faith in Jesus. So just like the pastor, we are all called to rely upon Christ's finished work to help us in all things, even in leading others to know him. And though we may fail, and I fail much as a pastor, I promise you that, I know that through faith in Christ, I will prevail, and so will you. So keep the faith. There is much ministry that needs to be done, and many who need to know him. So I pray that we all can partner together in making Jesus' Jesus's name known. Amen? Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I ask right now, Lord, that you help us, Lord, to constantly follow you and to look for opportunities to encourage one another in good works and encourage one another in knowing you. Lord, I pray that we always are about looking to your word and having that shine bright, having your gospel shine bright and not our opinions or even our ways. God, I ask right now, if someone doesn't know you, that they come to know you right now, that they get to see that you are the chief, the chief shepherd who cares for his people and that we can re- maybe represent that to them by the way we love one another and the way we extend our hand to those who don't know you. God, I also ask if there's someone right now that's struggling with maybe leadership in their own home in whatever context, if maybe they've been wanting to share the gospel with someone or maybe they've been trying to encourage someone in the Lord and it's just wearing upon them and they're not knowing how to do it, Lord, I pray you just come racing towards them with your grace and and remind them that Christ has already accomplished it for them. They just need to look to you. Help them, Lord, to know that, that your good works, that, 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 your, that your son has accomplished, that he has accomplished everything for us so we can walk in them. That includes leading others to you. And Lord, I pray that you keep this church always centered on the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and to never get caught up in the things of the world, but to be solely caught up in your grace and declaring that grace in all things. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Thank you.